Hello again, everybody, and welcome into Potter Time. Ryan Lindley here, as always, with Eric Myers, and joined this week by Morton head soccer coach Tori DeLong and the former head coach Brian Dieters. We're going to talk a little Morton soccer and Morton soccer history here today. And as always, I'll hand it over to Eric for the first question. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us, gentlemen. It's uh, great to have you on, and we're going to expand our horizons here. So, Brian, you were literally around from the start of the girls' soccer, girls soccer program. Uh, as its first head coach and assistant early in the program's making, or uh, in the boys' program, and then you eventually became head coach there as well. So tell us about those early days of girls' soccer, early days of boys' soccer. What was it like, you know, trying to build a program from the bottom up? Yeah, sure. First of all, um, I wasn't the first head coach for the girls. It was actually uh, a gentleman before me. Um, Egan Hicks was his name. And so he was the coach for, I believe, two seasons. Um, so I arrived uh, to Morton High School in the fall of 90, the 95, 96 school year uh, to kind of tie in your question with both of those things. And because I was fresh out of school, uh, they were hesitant to give me the head boys coach, understandably so. So I was the assistant boys that first year where Gary Gronewald uh, took one year where he was the head boys coach, and then I became the girls head coach right away in the in the spring. So, um, it, it's it. Un, but that said, it was unquestionably in its infancy stage uh, in the spring of '96. Um, it's quite interesting to think back and reflect and just see how big girls soccer in general has exploded over the course of the last 25 years. And so this was right at the time when that was all starting to happen. And I, I saw correlations with it, uh, just with the popularity of the sport growing. You know, obviously at the world stage in the United States, soccer for, for females has been the best. And 99 was kind of the moment where that arrived with uh, the Mia Hamm and, and that group of girls and Brandy Chastine uh, that, that won the World Cup. And so well, I think Morton High School was like a lot of other schools all over the country that you really started to see this as an interest for young ladies as something that was seen as a, a viable option for them as it was getting to become more uh, viewed on par with the guys. And so you had that kind of struggle going on. And so um, I was just there to be supportive and to continue to encourage them, but also learn a lot about, you know, what it's like to coach girls versus coaching boys. And for me, that, that was something that, that took time to kind of step back and say, you know, what are the right buttons to push in these situations and what are not based on my own experience being a player versus now being a coach and being a coach of females. So there was a learning curve for sure, but uh, just have great memories of the whole, the whole experience. So I guess a follow-up to that would be, so what was some of the participation like, you know, starting essentially from a very small group? I mean, how hard was it to get girls and boys out in the middle 90s? Well, uh, for, by the time I arrived, for, particularly for the boys, I mean, Morton soccer was really relatively established in the state. I mean, for example, they had made a run to the state tournament in the fall of 92. Uh, which I was still at the University of Illinois at the time. Um, and so it, it had grown steam. I remember playing Morton. I remember playing uh, the Morton Blaze program when I was playing in Quincy where I grew up uh, in the you know mid to late 80s. So that's really where you saw it uh, kind of growing here in Morton. 
Um, and there's a lot of people in the community that were responsible for that, uh, for getting that started. So I can't really take credit for, for the starting of the program, particularly from the boys side. So the, to answer your question, I think there was already a lot of interest. You know, there was a lot of, of people that were ready to get involved. The blaze program had kind of been put into place. And so for me, I just feel like it was just, uh, hopefully I could bring to the table as a player, uh, as somebody that uh, grew up in a, a, a tr rich tradition of soccer in Quincy uh, to kind of bring that next level to the program. And, and I hope that I did that. I think that we did that. Yeah, let me uh, jump in here and ask, I guess, both you guys, you know, Brian, you talk about that Morton had been successful before, and obviously you all at Quincy had a solid program. Um, but kind of question to both of you, how has soccer across the area kind of grown? I think, you know, Central Illinois has really established itself as a place that plays a lot of good soccer, not just at two or three schools now, but really across the board. Where, where has that changed? What's, what have you noticed in the growth of Central Illinois soccer, even going beyond just Morton? Go ahead, T. Yeah, sure. Well, what I found is, you know, I arrived here in 2006, and of course, the objective for boys and girls was just to get that PND monkey off our back. And over the years, it was it, it, soccer has grown to the point where, really, to me, I look at the the, the new litmus test, and not the PND is down, but the normal area teams, the normal community, normal West, normal U High. Uh, you even go down further south into Rochester and Springfield High. And because our conference shifted, we now, when Brian was coaching, we played everybody twice in our conference. And then right about the end of Brian's tenure, we shifted to playing everybody once. And that opened up just a huge geographic area for us to go out and play some different teams. And so if nothing else, my awareness grew that, you know, we kind of got hogtied into a small geographic area with the middle line eye. But once we were allowed to go play other areas, normal Springfield more continuously, I learned more about that there are a lot of good programs out there. And even with that, middle line eyes changed significantly. You know, with the club system, uh, one of the clubs that was traditionally in Peoria is now located in Washington. And so Washington High School is benefiting from a club right there in Washington. And so Washington High School has gotten better at soccer. Pekin has their own club now that's developed in the last 10 years. And so Pekin's gotten stronger on the girls' side, especially with soccer. And so I found that the Mid-Alana is just much more competitive. And then, you you know, the normal community area is very strong, boys and girls soccer. And so it's just been fun to have different challenges. And to me, what I've always tried to do is if I get an opportunity to schedule somebody, to schedule somebody I've never played before. And so it's got to be a lot of fun to do that and just learn. Chicago area, of course, has always been strong. But getting teams from the Chicago area down here in our tournament and play, it's just gotten to be – I don't know. It, I feel like I learn more as a coach if I don't know who's on that roster and we have to adjust on the fly as opposed to knowing, okay, I remember that girl or guy as a freshman, now he's coming back as a sophomore, now he's a junior, I know what to expect. I just find that is a lot of fun, too, to just branch out and find out where those teams are. Yeah, and I'll add to that, too. I think uh, when you reflect on the growth of soccer at the high school level throughout the state, I, I remember being – 
a little kid and going to Quincy Notre Dame um, soccer games in the early 1980s. Um, the state of Illinois started soccer program in the late 70s and you had schools in the Chicago suburban area and schools in the St. Louis suburban area. That was, a, you know, a ton of immigrant uh, families from Germany and Italy that, that made their way into those areas that started playing soccer and, and it really taken off with the first professional league, uh, the, uh, what was that, the NASL, I think. So um, for whatever reason, that made its way to the little town that I grew up in, on the, in, in Quincy on the river. Uh, and so we had these huge programs that were so successful. Uh, Quincy Notre Dame, where I ended up eventually going to high school, won the state championship in 1985. And they beat uh, Collinsville down in the South, huge school, and Hoffman Estates up in the North. Um, and getting to my point, there were basically soccer in the Chicago area and the St. Louis area, and a few places peppered around. And I was just fortunate enough to kind of grow in an area that that had a lot of of history of soccer because of the, the college, Quincy College. So it took off. Um, and then over the course of these several you know decades the thing that has happened is with the growth of the sport around the state, just to kind of piggybacking off of what Tori said, you're finding these established programs throughout the state. Like he said, the normals, obviously Pure Notre Dame here, um, the St. Louis area, even when, when I was playing 30 years ago, I mean, we'd play Sacred Heart Griffin and beat them six to nothing. Um, you know, Peoria Notre Dame was an up and comer. And so you've really seen that growth spread around the state. And I think it's impacted smaller schools that have adapted soccer programs, you know, uh, Roanoke, Benson, Eureka, uh, for example, um, so Rochester, as you talked about, is a smaller school. So I think it's just kind of been this, this wave of sorts um, coupled with the popularity of the sport at the national level. And so I think our state's benefited from that. That's good stuff. Uh, Tori, let me ask you, I'll, I'll you know, I, I'll take the hit on we and Brian as the first head coach. I want to blame the IHSA school directory, which did not list any other coaches other than Brian on the roster for all-time Morton girls coaches. But Tori, we know that you started, started, out, started out as an assistant in 2006. Uh, just talk a little bit about, you know, what got you here to Morton to end up coaching soccer and kind of your journey to this point now as the head coach for both the boys and the girls? Looking back on it, I mean, it, the, the, the start was a fluke. Um, I was at Woodruff High School for a year. I didn't coach anything at Woodruff. Um, at, at the time, everybody that was established was about to retire at Woodruff, so there weren't even coaching opportunities there. But I wanted to coach. And then District 150 at the time, I don't know if they still do it, they pink slipped all first-year teachers. So I was a first-year teacher, got my pink slip, and I wasn't even planning to apply anywhere. But I knew that Morton High School had two people retiring because I student taught there. Of course, I had a relationship with Brian uh, and a, a couple other people in the department. And so I went ahead and applied and got an interview, got the job. But still, there wasn't anything in the interview about coaching. And I think it was Kyle Kinzinger was supposed to be Brian's assistant coach, and he either got into a master's program or took another job two or three days before tryouts. And so I got a call from Greg Pritchard and said, Hey, um, shows here that you volunteered to be a coach and which I did at Holy family. I played soccer 
kind of rec league style. I didn't grow up playing the game, but I was a volunteer for my son at Holy Family. And so I had some coaching experience. I actually helped Brian out with one of his camps one summer to try to learn more. I, I tried to be selfish and, you know, I want my son to be a better player. So what can I do to learn to be a better coach? And so ultimately it just kind of fell in my lap and, you know, I helped Brian out for that first fall, had a ball, learned a ton and, you know, then got on as the girl's assistant shortly after that. So it kind of fell into my lap from that point on. It just kind of grew. I'm kind of became a coach junkie. If anything, just anybody I can talk to. And I don't care what the, you know, there are coaches out there that you hear things about, but I will listen to them. If I can pick up anything about X's and O's or strategies, I listen and I try to learn and I learned as much as I could from Brian and had a great time working with him. And I had a year with Trent Derek Drinkpool and I just listened and learned. And then I, I rest for a year and took time off from coaching, rest, and I listened and learned from that perspective and got a, just a different side of the game entirely you had the player side you had the parent side you had the coach's side but then now the ref side too that I learned from and then again Derek took a job Derek Drinkpool took a job at ISU and he wasn't able to coach anymore because of his hours and so shucks that was two weeks before tryouts for the girls and oh shucks I'm gonna have the year off I think I think it was 2014 and again, the job fell in my lap. And so I, those particular girls. He's like Mr. Magoo. I guess. <laughs> and the, the girls were freshmen when I coached them. And so now they were seniors. And so there's something about me having a relationship with them already that I just jumped on. I couldn't pass up the opportunity. And so I've been the coach since. Yeah. Before I think you mentioned. One, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, I was just going to say that uh, I think one of the things that really helped with the movement of the program from the ultimate transition from me leaving because I went to Europe was the fact that Tori and I had such a good uh, relationship and a great friendship. So, uh, and, and to his credit, I mean, as he just said, he went in very much, not really uh, a sock, you know, having the experience in soccer and was just a sponge the first couple of seasons. And I can distinctly remember thinking to myself, you know, soon within a couple of seasons, like I have faith to ask my assistant questions about specific strategies and I can put him more on more focusing on things on defense. And that's a credit to him just, as he just said, wanting to really learn uh, because he didn't grow up as a player. And so that's just, I think, important to note that, you know, you don't have to necessarily be somebody that was, you know, a player growing up to become a successful coach. So. so I kind of got an interesting question here. So you guys worked together in the early on. So mid 2000s, 2006 through let's say 2010, what are some of those early memories you have of coaching together with some of those teams? Who are some of those players? What are some of those things that just stand out in your mind? Like, wow, this is why I got into this and this is what it's all about. Well, we have a lot of stories we probably can't share in this space that, that uh, we oftentimes bring up, but there's a lot of things we can share too. So I'll let Tori Let's just talk about the TG ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please. Well, I, you know, most of just, regardless of the situation, it often ended up with us laughing. You know, whether we were learning something about a player, whether the player was teaching us something or whatever, it was just something that always ended up 
with us laughing about it at the end, which has made going to practice every day fun, games fun. Even if things were stressed in the middle of a game, we're in a tight, tied game towards the end. We always figured out a way to laugh at each other and figure out a way to have fun with it. So that's what I remember most about it. And, you know, and I miss that. I mean, we laugh and joke at work all the time, but as far as, you know, my, my whole thing about any assistant I've had was who, who can we have fun with, you know, because that fun then wears off on the kids and then the kids are a little looser in those situations and seem to perform better. So I, we spend two hours every practice and you think game nights on the bus and away, sometimes four to five hours. But if it's not fun, man, you know, why, why would you have kids or even us do that? So that was the big thing is just remember the fun. Uh, but we've, we've had some great players. And so, you know, it's tough to necessarily pick one or two out, but I guess for me, I, I look back on Logan Simpson because Logan came back and was an assistant coach for a period of time. And, um, I look back at it as far as one of the highlights of someone to coach would be Logan. And he's, he gets the first one that came to mind. I mean, gosh, had to do a lot of math and I'm not good at that, but I bet there's 300 to 400 kids that, between the boys and the girls, maybe more than that. If we take a time to do with the boys and girls of the amount of kids that we've had that impacted us. And hopefully we've had positive impact on them over the years. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's harder for me, maybe, because I had the, you know, so many kids before you came on board, too, as far as the kids that we shared. But certainly that group of kids with uh, with Logan, who went on to become uh, an All-State player and, a, and a, a very strong collegiate player and then an assistant coach. And that's really what it's about is this kind of, you know, paying it forward and coming back to the program and giving what you learned in the program yourself on Derek Drinkpool is another example of that, mm -hmm. right? Before who I coached as well. Uh, but that whole group with, uh, with Simpson and Scheller and uh, uh, it was a, it was a special group of seniors that were really focused. And that was a group of kids that we went over and played Peoria Notre Dame, which has ended up being the, the story of virtually every season almost in the sectional championship or the semis, however we would meet up with them, usually the championship, and just had a great game. One of the things that sticks out with me with that group is I'd mentioned Andy Scheller, who was this just hard-nosed defender, and he was such a character. He was a kid that uh, early on, I just he came late to practice and said something stupid or did something, and I just made him run. And he was the type of kid that he would just do it. He literally just ran the whole practice. And but really, it was sending a message that this kid is willing to to do what he has to do and to deal with the you know poor decision that he made. And it kind of transcended to the group having this attitude of just never quitting. And uh, I'll never forget him going in for a 50-50 ball uh, against a kid from Notre Dame in that game. And I, I he was like literally like going. 100 miles an hour into a brick wall to win a ball and it was just kind of symbolized this attitude of that particular group uh emig was another one and uh, so that was a fun group certainly i also think of that group tory uh where peoria notre dame was ranked basically number one through four in the country throughout mm -hmm. the world uh, throughout the season in the rankings and they'd been blowing everybody out and went on and won the state championship by six, seven, nothing. And uh, the only game they had in the postseason that wasn't a complete blowout was an overtime sudden death victory against us on their field in the sectional finals, where we 
completely changed things around, played a completely different style, had them really frustrated. And the kids, just how they bought in, you know, Matt Rossi was the captain of that group and Matt Hassinger and Carson Gray was a sophomore. And so we had that group, that kind of last group of kids we had that went through. Uh, they stick out too on the boys' side. And the girls' side, we had more success ultimately. I mean, we had some really good teams. We won conference. I don't even know how many years in a row, but we're really proud of those. Those uh, establishments and had a lot of kids that became all state players, you know, from Holly Bennett to uh, uh, Kayla Campbell to so many of some of the Kayla Mueller and Hess and great group of kids, great young people today. It's still great to be in touch with them on Facebook or whatever you see them. Um, so, you know, that's what it's about. It's about team building and relationships. Well, I think Ryan's got another name to drop. Maybe you can spur some more memories of a certain game, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, let's talk. Let's go back to your 2012 girls team and talk uh, Courtney Allenbaugh and the goal that finally put you over the top against PND. <laughs> um, you know, f for me personally, that was that was such a that was such an emotional time for me. Um, I was getting ready to leave a job that I loved, a school that I loved, to do something new, which turned out to be an amazing experience and one that I'm really glad that we did but at the time I didn't know what that was going to mean and we still had not beaten Pure Notre Dame in the postseason to advance um, and so for years it was we actually probably had the stronger of side a lot of the times but they'd find a way to maybe to squeak it out uh, you know the last four to five seasons before that in the postseason we had defeated them in the regular season a couple of years before that but that game went all the way. Again, it was at Notre Dame's field, and uh, it went into overtime. And, yeah, Courtney, who transferred in from Peoria Christian, was just a mature, just a really great athlete, but a great person and uh, um, understood the process. And she just had – she was kind of a poacher. She just found ways to score goals, and that was an example of it. But uh, I just remember sprinting onto the field knowing that we had beat them and just kind of this monkey-off-the-back feeling that was uh, – I vividly remember it well and uh, and giving her a big bear hug and probably squeezing the life out of her almost. And uh, it was a cool moment uh, for me personally. And I think for the program, it was certainly as well, because it made us realize that, uh, you know, sky was the limit. And then that pushed us into the elite eight at that moment. And then uh, from there, you know, the, the program continued and, and Derek came in and then Tori came in and um, continued to have strong teams. Yeah, Tori, kind of, I guess, going along the same road, right? I mean, in your run as head coach uh, this past fall, boys team, obviously, Brian mentioned it earlier, it was the first sectional title Morton had had since the early 90s. Uh, just kind of, I know, you know, it's obviously a lot more recent memories, but what, what was the key to success this past fall? I give a lot of credit to the kids. We just had a group of kids that – had a refuse to lose attitude and we lost a couple games early on and I put at least one of them the first game completely on me maybe what I would call coaching arrogance thinking that the success that we had last year which we got to the sectional championship and played PND and lost and you know they were ranked very high and it was a great game but anyway you know we were playing so well in a certain style that I thought we're going to begin this season playing that same style 
and it just didn't work for whatever reason, whether it's a, you know, new kids, a new spots or uh, playing a team that was ready for it, whatever you want to call it, it just didn't work. And so uh, I put that first game on me. I made the mistake, should have gone into it more conservatively instead of aggressively. Um, but then I learned from it. The kids learned from it. And that loss, the kids seem to just have an attitude that, no, that, you know, we're not going to go out this way. And we just started getting on a roll. And the kids just played well throughout the conference. We dominated some games that were sometimes shocking. I mean, we went to – we go to a tournament every year. It's hosted by a Quincy High School guy, um, Eric Stratman. And it used to be in the St. Louis area. Now it's in Burlington, Iowa. And these teams from Chicago come, the teams from Kansas, all over the country come to this tournament. It's one of the best high school tournaments in the country. And we just jumped all over these teams. And they were quality teams. And that's when I think we all knew that we could be special, that we won our group. And we hadn't done that. I think we've made it to championship games, and we've done uh, been very competitive in those. But I think that was the first time that Morton won their group at this tournament. And so it was just something that from that point on, the kids rode. And, you know, and I'm kind of repeating myself from interviews from the season, but the one thing about soccer is there's no timeouts. And so you have to have kids that are able to coach themselves when things are stressed at times because you just can't stop the momentum. And so when I look at this special group of kids and the middle of the first half against Rochester, and we're down 2-0 in the regional championship, and there's no timeouts, there's no me trying to rally them or anything, and they are who turned it around. They got a goal, they rallied, got the second goal before half, and, you know, that was on them. That A group of kids that had significant leadership, the captains that we had. Uh, we had an All-Stater, Wes Gibson, who, at least on the boys' side, is the first repeat All-Stater. So, you know, the, he's a special player. And that kid on the field is kind of a general. I mean, he took charge of things. And so you put all that together, special group of kids, obviously talented, the attitude that they – carried throughout the year and you know I, I was blessed to have that opportunity to coach them really I give them a lot of that credit very much so it's exciting to watch them progress as a team throughout the season especially I mean my first semester here and you're here and I have some of those kids in class it's like wow they get it they get it they get it and uh, it's pretty special so nobody really knows what's going to happen with ball sports at all uh, everything from never going to happen to business as usual so what are you guys going to do primarily Tori here, to ensure that your team picks up in August, just like you ended the season. Uh, maybe a little better ending to the season next year, but keep that momentum going. Building two years in a row, what's going to happen this third year? What are we going to do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to be easy, but luckily there's kind of things in place already that we have traditionally done what's called a captain's camp. And so although we are present from time to time, uh, the captains really run things. And so I, I've already been in contact with our returning captains for this year and said that there's probably going to be more responsibility on you guys than ever, because at least currently, as of today, there's zero contact hours for coaches this summer. And so still want them to work. And we obviously need them to be responsible and being healthy and things like that. But uh, I, I send them workouts ultimately is what I do. Um, and, 
it's tough when you don't know what equipment they have at home, what kind of workout stuff that they have available to them. But I send them workouts and I send it to the captains. And right now what sucks is there's no accountability. But what I'm trying to do is make sure they have that access. And it's going to take a lot of self-motivation for them to push through this and be ready. Because if the season opens up and we go, we need to be fit. And, you know, the, the one thing that's different about the fall versus the spring in the spring, you start off and your first game might be 38 degrees. And then it's not 80 until sometimes May. All right. But when we start in the fall, it's going to be 80 to 90 degrees that first game we play. And so if you're not fit, that, that hurts you significantly right out the gate. Um, so hopefully they know that they're aware of that. I think we got a very good group of captains coming back. And so I think they are going to be demanding of guys to get out and work again. I'm not necessarily encouraging them to get together right now, but at the same time, they need to, need to get out as individuals and make sure they're fit when things start. But it's not going to be the easiest thing, but I guess we're all in this together. I mean, every school in IHSA is going to be going through the same process. And so it's just a matter of us or me as a coach communicating to them what the expectations are and them having the individual motivation to get out there and do it. Totally agree. It's going to be a very interesting time to see what happens uh, in August for all of our fall sports. So, Brian, random question, more more or less random. Looking back over your time here at Morton, what's the one memory that stands out? About time all in, Morton, in, in all yeah, soccer, all soccer. of the seasons of coaching, what's the one memory that stands out? Oh, that's a really tough question. It's a great question. Uh, I mean, I can think of on-the-field moments, certainly the Courtney Allen ball goal, um, certainly some of the big goals scored early on. Um, my first year as the head boys coach in 1996, we were the seventh seed in a group of, uh, of teams. There was really just one class of soccer still. Uh, maybe it was two at that time, but we were in the higher uh, – class so we played huge schools and we Quincy High was the top seed Moline East Moline all these schools that uh, were just at a different level than we were at the time um, and we went through and beat um, the the number two seed in the regionals the number three seed we basically knocked off the way it worked out four of the top five seeds and got to the sectional final where Moline beat us uh, and they had beaten us six to nothing earlier in the year. And just to see the progress of the kids over the course of that season. And I was just a kid myself at the time. I mean, I was 23 years old. Uh, I just remember that being a really kind of just powerful, great memory on the field. Um, and then I have a lot of memories off the field and some that, uh, you know, that stick in my mind that really speak to camaraderie and, and um, and, and, and team unity, you know, um, we had a tragedy in the early part of the century where we had a student who was one of my seniors and a captain, and he, a couple of weeks after the season was over, was killed in an automobile, automobile accident. His name was Jeff Bentley. And um, just having to deal with that and deal with the kids is something that definitely stands out too. So 
you know, really that's what coaching's about, right? It's yes, it's tough on the field and yes, it's about winning games, but it's way more than that. It's about building relationships, getting kids to, you know, come together to work hard to, you know, be there for one another. And so, so many great memories. Um, and, uh, you know, the time to kind of pass the torch was there and, and I don't have any regrets on that. You know, it's, uh, it's all in a good place for me but I think that that's a good question to ask and there's a lot of ways to look at it so appreciate your honesty all right uh, I think you know and we'll end with that question I think looking at our time here we have had obviously a great show uh, maybe a little longer than our previous episodes but we thank all of our listeners and viewers for sticking with us and obviously a huge thank you to Brian and Tori for joining us today guys we really appreciate it and uh, I, I keep saying this at the at the wrap-up of shows but hope to have you back and hope to have you back where we're actually discussing some results that were on the field that'd be great thanks for having us yeah thanks guys really thank and, you uh, make this make this talk so thanks so much yeah thank you. For, for Eric, I'm Ryan. We hope you join us on the next edition of Potter Time next week. For now, though, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>